Hello and welcome to the TID Water and Power Podcast. I'm your host, Constance Anderson, and on this month's episode, we're discussing cybersecurity. As the world we live in becomes more and more interconnected via computers, cell phones, and other technology, the opportunity for devious minds to disrupt those systems continues to rise. And this is no different for TID. With hundreds of thousands of people relying on the irrigation water and power the district delivers, TID goes to great lengths to secure our systems and prevent cyber attacks. As October is Cybersecurity Awareness Month, it is only fitting that on this episode, I'm joined by TID IT Services Department Manager, Dave Arunsak, to discuss the threat of cyber attacks on utilities and how the district protects and fortifies our cybersecurity system. Dave, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Constance. Thanks for having me here. Absolutely. So if you would, um, start by telling us a little bit about your background with the district. So I started at the district in 2005 as an IT analyst in the IT department. From there, I moved on over to the uh, Energy Management Systems Support Division, where I was the Control Systems Cybersecurity Analyst. That was a first um, creation of that position, really in an effort to be focused on compliance needs for the district as it relates to compliance standards for utility industries like us. Following my position as the control system cybersecurity analyst, I was promoted to the EMS supervisor and ultimately uh, became the water and and energy management systems manager for that area. Um, Spent about eight years doing that. Um, And then as recently as June of 2021, I became IT services department manager. Great. And I know that uh, talking about kind of the origins of cybersecurity at TID is something that that I want to get into a little bit more um, later in the podcast. Let's start out with um, just what are cyber attacks? Can you tell us kind of what defines a cyber attack? Absolutely. So there are many forms of cyber attacks. Um, and just so you know, this, this, is, this happens all the time and continuously. Um, where probing networks, uh, probing network perimeters are a common theme. So this is always going on. Um, the reason why they do that is they're trying to detect any unpatched systems out there and then take advantage of any vulnerabilities in the intent to take over your system or to gain access into your network. So when you say they're probing the system, is is that kind of like they're just sort of poking around looking for these vulnerabilities or or what what do you mean by that yes that probing means um using a system to scan let's say the network that you're on um and this could be an organization like us or any other organizations or even personal computers so the way you connect out to get onto websites is the same way that they can use utilize that same uh, mechanism to to scan where you're coming from. Interesting. Okay. So they kind of turn that around and use it against you. Right. Um, the concept of IP address is internet protocol addressing. That's the mechanism that makes all the internet work. And so it's an address that you're using to get out to other um, networks. And so it's the same process. If they know where you're coming from, then I can also try to scan your, your IP and see what vulnerabilities you may have 
by scanning your networks. Okay, interesting. And who are the individuals or groups that are conducting these attacks? Again, there are many. (laughs) So it could be individual groups um, or all the way up to nation state where uh, they have uh, an agenda against another, another nation. When you say an individual, is this, uh, you know, criminal mastermind type individual or, or who might be trying to pull some of these attacks? That's a great question. Cause I mean, when you see it in the movies, you've got this uh, great uh, mind that is uh, trying, you know, sitting behind a 10 computer monitors trying to hack into, uh, you know, an, an, an uh, into an, a government institution, right? Right. Um, but an attacker could so could be um, what we call a script kitties. A script uh, kitty? Yes. Okay. That's a new so, one for me. I like that. So these type of individuals um, are kind of relatively unskilled um, persons um, using available scripts or programs that they find on the internet and they try to uh, attack systems or networks and usually they do it to deface a web page or something like that. So they put their own little message on there. So just to be mischievous. Yes. Okay. All right. And then you had mentioned, um, you know, it could rise up even to the level of, of a, a nation state attack. How, what would that look like? Right. So uh, I'm sure everyone's kind of seen in the news um, where the Ukraine event that happened back in 2015. Mm. Um, is believed to be you know, the Russians attacking Ukraine and disrupting their power for one to six hours during that outage. Wow. And, and again, that was just deliberately to get into the system, disrupt um, their systems and, and prevent them from, from business and life as usual. Absolutely. I mean, it affected about 225,000 um, residents. Okay. Wow. And then what about, you know, kind of going back to the reference you made about, uh, you know, what we see in the movies, is there ever any like organized crime rings that, that try their hand at this cyber attack? Uh, absolutely. Um, because of the way that uh, criminals are able to have financial gains from um, these cyber attacks, uh, largely for um, what we call ransomware. Um, if this organization, crime organization is able to infiltrate and render your file system, your file documents, um, useless, um, by either deleting it or making it where it's not readable by you. And there's a business need for you to access those files. And they put a ransomware on there and you need to pay in order to for them to recover your files so you can use those files again. Okay. So again, the, the disruption of doing business, but with that added angle of uh, monetary gain that they're that they're trying to get out of it. Absolutely. And and with the uh increased rise in using cryptocurrency and the way that cryptocurrency works is um you're not necessarily able to trace back to the originator of those cryptocurrency. It anomalizes those um, the the money transfer process. Um, this this all is sounding like a couple different movies that I've seen, um, but we want to we want to bring it back to real life. Um, and I'm glad you you brought up ransomware. Let's get into a little bit about um, what some of these different attacks look like. So I've I've heard of a term called social engineering. What what does that look like? Can you tell us a little bit more about that? 
Yes, uh, social engineering is an attack that relies on human interactions, uh, where they manipulate the victim in, into providing sensitive information that could allow the attacker to gain unauthorized access to your systems, network, or even physical location. Okay. So kind of a, a con, if you will. Yes. Okay. And how, how would they go about implementing this? Um, so there are many types of social engineering attacks. Uh, one of the most uh, prevalent one is called phishing. Uh, that's P-H-I-S-I-N-G. Um, and this attack type is really, it's, it's attacking the, the, the human, um, pretending to be a legitimate request, usually in the sense of some kind of urgency for that victim to take action. All right. And then in addition to a phishing scheme, another kind of attack on a, on a person could come in what form? So yes, phishing is, is definitely one of the, the prevalent ones out there. Um, but there's different forms of phishing as well. There is what's called, um, spear phishing, which is kind of a targeted, um, attack on an individual pretending to be someone that you know and maybe you trust either by name. Um, they're basically pretending, um, to be that person even with the name or maybe the email address to be this intended uh, person. And with that, they're asking you to perform an action, to click on a link or to open an attachment um, where those links are malicious links uh, that could download um, a virus or a malware onto your computer, at which point uh, it infects your computer system. Gotcha. And, and like you mentioned, these can come across as looking like it's coming from someone you know and, and someone you trust. Is that, is that right? Yes, absolutely. The, um, that's the, the impersonation part. Um, they try very, very deceitly to, um, make it appear as realistic as they can. Mm. And so, uh, caution is just to make sure when you look at the content and, uh, the, the sender address. Sometimes they could just have a quick, uh, small misspelling in there, but close enough to the, you know, to, to, um, pretend to be that, that, that source person. Gotcha. All right. Uh, what other types of attacks do we see out there? So we had talked about, um, ransomware. That is one, again, one of the most prevalent out there. And it's the most lucrative one out there, um, in the industry. Um, so that is an attack where, um, once your system's infected, the intent of that is to render your files unusable. And depending on how critical that file is to your business organization, um, you may be considering making that payment to the ransomware. Wow. And uh, is that something that when that occurs, is it very common that businesses would pay out the ransomware or are there other ways that they can go about getting control of their files again without paying? If you have a solid backup and recovery plan and those files are able to recover on your own, um, then the ransomware is, is less um, enticing uh, for you to pay, right? However, on, on average, um, a ransomware payment is about $800,000. Wow. Um, and, a, and about 40 46% of organizations pay that ransomware to recover their files. 
Uh, this is according to a leading cybersecurity software vendor, Sophos. All right. So of the of the ransomware attacks, like you said, almost half of those end up paying some some amount of money to to regain control of their files. Absolutely. Wow. And then what about malware? Is that something different? Uh, malware is just a term that's used to describe any type of malicious software uh, designed to inflict harm or exploit um, end user devices. Okay. Um, I think it's no coincidence that we're releasing this podcast uh, just before Halloween because all this is starting to sound a little bit scary. Um, what what else is out there that, that we should be on the lookout for or watching out for? Yeah, as the general public, I mean, I'm, I get it too. I think a lot of people are getting uh, text messages that um, appear to be coming out of nowhere uh, for you to click on links. Just be really weary of that because um, malware is not just for computer systems, uh, desktops. It's also available on phones. Uh, and, and nowadays, everybody has a phone. So um, that is also an attack vector that criminal minds and others are using. So it's not that I actually won a prize. I should not click that link. Just delete that that text or that email and, and move along. Sounds so good to be true, doesn't it? It does. It does. That's probably a good warning. Uh, what other what other attacks are out there while we're while we're diving into some of the scariness? Um, so we've been talking about kind of cyber um, attacks um, for people doing some of these attacks remotely. Um, there are physical attacks too, um, meaning that someone comes in on site to your physical location. Uh, maybe they want to get into your data center or they want to get into areas where they should not be um, using some social engineering tactics as pertaining to be um, vendors uh, coming to service um, some equipment. So just be wary. Just, you know, if, if you have an unscheduled visitor, just just make sure that you vet that out before you allow them to onto your premises. Sure, they are who they say they are. All right, any other way that uh, some of these attackers have come up with schemes to try and get their get their malware on your system or get into your system? Yeah, I can kind of talk about one other form. Um, it's the little, those little USB thumb drives that everybody has. Oh, um, sure. So one of the tactics that, that we know about is um, uh, dropping those USBs at organizations or... or at places of business where on those USB sticks, maybe malware on there. And so unsuspecting persons may pick that up and curiosity pops it into their computer and therefore um, it could infect your system. Just the act of, of popping it in their computer and engaging that USB drive is enough to trigger the malware. And Right, especially if you don't have any type of uh, malware protection on your computer. Got it. Okay. so. Don't give in to the curiosity. Take that found USB drive directly to your IT people. Is that what you're saying? Yes. So <laughs> we, we have ways to make sure we scan it before we um, uh, deem it safe to, uh, to use. Okay. Good to know. So we've talked about, you know, the physical attacks, the USB drives. What kind of access points do these cyber attackers uh, typically use or, or could be a potential threat? That's an evolving um, uh, area because it really nowadays everything is connected. I mean, your your phone is connected to internet. Uh, you know, of course, your laptop, iPads, uh, any any form of technology that allows you to be connected 
is an avenue for an attacker to utilize. And there are things that we don't know about yet that's going to be, you know, an evolving threat that happens. Sure. Like you said earlier, that it's kind of that two-way street. Anything you're using to access out can also then be turned against you as a, a point of entry to your to your system. Okay. So thinking about utilities and, and TID specifically, what sort of, of threats are utilities susceptible to? So all those that we mentioned above, um, those it doesn't matter if you're a utility or a financial institution, those are all viable um, attack ways of um, of getting into your system. Um, so it can be small scale email spam to a, a wide scale cyber attack against your whole organization. Um, and particularly for utilities, you know, uh, we provide essential services to our customers, providing electricity um, for for the community. Mm -hmm. And so that's a pretty rich target if someone wants to uh, disrupt that service. So we take that very seriously in making sure that availability and uptime are on our system. So you mentioned these could be small-scale attacks to larger attacks. Uh, what would some of the the harm look like in in regard to specifically electric and water utilities? For the electric industry, uh, an attack like this could render um, disruption to our services. So a lot of our essential services that provide electric power to hospitals and public service areas um, could be a complete outage or could even be degradation in service, the ability for us to uh, service our customers. And also not to mention the fact that if such an occurrence happened, the cost of recovery and the time of recovery could, is, could be a, a major impact to the ability for us to uh, restore service to, to our customers. Sure, absolutely. Um, so getting a, a little more specific then, um, thankfully, knock on wood, um, this is not something that, that TID has had to deal with, but I understand that, that other utilities have experienced some of these situations. I know you had mentioned earlier in our discussion um, that there was a cyber attack in Ukraine. Yes, that was the, um, the attack back in, uh, in late 2015. Um, there was a malware called Black Energy uh, that was utilized in that attack. Um, and that caused a disruption for 225,000 customers uh, that lasted for one to six hours. Any others we might have heard about? Uh, the more recent one is the uh, Colonial Pipeline. Uh, that was in 2021. Um, they suffered a ransomware attack. That company basically had to halt all pipeline operations to kind of help contain that attack. Um, and ultimately, they agreed to pay the uh, $4.4 million in ransomware, in, in Bitcoin, nonetheless. Wow. Oh, my goodness. Even though the ransomware was paid, um, the, the federal government did step in uh, to help recover some of those um, expenditures. Okay. All right. So given these different attacks that have happened, given the potential for other tax attacks to happen, um, have there been any regulations that have come out of this to sort of help industries, um, specifically utilities, prevent some of these attacks? That's a great question, Constance. Um, so back in 2003, there was a large blackout 
on the northeastern and midwestern U.S. and Ontario, Canada, where 50 million people lost power during that outage. Uh, so out of this, uh, a recommendation was made for the U.S. government to make reliability standards mandatory and enforceable to prevent future blackouts. Okay, so this wasn't actually a cyber attack. This was just an incredibly large blackout, but it sort of made regulators take notice that that maybe we need some standards in place. Is that right? Absolutely. So many of the mandates mandates that came out from that started in the kind of the, on the operations side uh, for reliability and coordination between different entities, um, but then eventually expanded to include cyber protections uh, with the executive order, uh, executive order 706 back in 2008, that included critical infrastructure protection. Okay, interesting. All right. Are there standards or compliance mandates that TID specifically has to operate by? Yes. So many industries like uh, Turlock Irrigation District and other utilities are mandated to abide by the the NERC um, reliability standards. And, and remind us what NERC stands for? Uh, yeah, good question. NERC is the North American Electric Reliability Corporation. Okay. Uh, they're a not-for-profit organization that was appointed by FERC, uh, the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission. Okay. Um, and their job was to establish these mandatory and enforceable standards for the protection of what we call the bulk electric system, which is the, the, the electric grid of the United States. Okay. And so um, it's NERC then that, that, like you said, creates these standards and then also enforces those uh, in our area. Is that right? Uh, that's correct. So NERC is the kind of the nationwide um, organization. And for our particular area, we belong in the, the Western Interconnect. So the organization called Western Electricity Coordinating Council are the ones that come out and audit all of these entities in the Western states. Got it. Okay. All right. Uh, other compliance mandates that uh, that TID is beholden to? Uh, as of right now, um, we are under these uh, NERC standards um, for the electrical side. Um, however, on the water side, we do take some of these standards and we try to employ some of these good measures across kind of across the entire footprint for, of the district. Okay. So so technically there aren't hard and fast standards on the irrigation side, um, but we're kind of using the electric side as sort of an example and kind of pull some best practices from there. Is that accurate? That's correct. Okay. Gotcha. And then a, another um, acronym that I've heard is SIP, C-I-P. What, is, what does that stand for? So SIP stands for the uh, Critical Infrastructure Protection. Um, those are the standards targeted for cyber um, components and also physical protection for our uh, substations, generation plants, anything related to the, the power grid okay. that the district operates and owns. Okay, great. Thanks. All right. So are there, um, y- you mentioned that there's an, an audit process and I, I want to talk a little bit more about that. But are there any trainings or exercises that are associated with these mandates to make sure that we're kind of doing what we're supposed to be doing? Right. So these mandates have a number of um, standards. And one of those standards is a a recovery process, meaning that we need to perform training exercises 
either tabletop or operational exercises that has processes, procedures in the event of an incident. Okay. So kind of breaking that down to the most basic level, it's sort of like a, a fire drill. You have to know how to how you're supposed to respond in the event that something like this happens. Absolutely. And it's uh, it's not only a requirement from the standard, um, it's it's exercised it's annually by by various members of, of the TID staff. Okay, great. Any others? Um, so part of NERC, um, as I mentioned earlier, uh, they do perform every two years what they call the, a grid X, short for grid exercise. Uh, it's a, a collaboration of many entities across the U.S. Uh, they perform a, a drill of a cyber attack and coordinate with all the, the regular, I'm sorry, all the agencies, FBI, DHS, um, to facilitate what, if an event did occur, what actions um, are, are, are needed to, in response to this type of attack. Okay. So kind of an even more evolved um, drill or, or exercise. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a large, uh, large scale exercise. So I, I mentioned earlier that I wanted to talk more about kind of the audit process behind um, some of these, these mandates and, and compliance standards. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about what those, the NERC audits look like? Out here in the West, the regional body called WEC are responsible for conducting these audits at TID. Um, they're responsible for the entire Western area of the, of the grid. So in every three years, a team of auditors from WEC comes and pays us a visit. Huh. Um, it's a, it's a two week audit. Um, depending on an entity's registered function, just like TID, we're registered functions for, um, transmission operator, transmission owner, um, balancing authority. So depending on, on your registered function is the level of degree of the audit. Okay. That makes sense. It determines the scope of what they're out here to, to audit us on. Okay. So the audit for us, um, encompasses both, um, fiscal and cyber, uh, along with what we call the operationals and operational and planning standards as well. That's outside of the, the SIP um, standards. Uh, those are more, as I mentioned, the reliability and operational and coordination with other entities. So there's two sides of the audit from, from WEC. Okay, so they come out, they complete the audit. Um, well, what are some of the repercussions if the audit doesn't go well? Yeah, so out of the audit, um, there are what they call findings. Um, and so it can be anywhere from a recommendation, an area of concern, or the, what they call the notice of penalty. That doesn't sound good. So the, the fines for uh, non-compliance could be up to uh, $1 million per day per fine. Oof. Definitely want to make sure you're in compliance with yes. numbers like that. All right. I'm sure TID does excellent on their audits. Yes. So to date, we've had um, several audits um, since 2009. Um, so every three years since then. Um, and to date, we've been clean on our uh, NERC CIP audits. Awesome. Thank goodness. Thank goodness. Absolutely. And so then you mentioned that that audit process happens every three years. 
Um, is there is there anything that the district does annually that to kind of keep up and make sure that we're remaining in compliance even in the the off audit years? Yes, good question. So on the off audit years, um, we are still need to be in compliance. Um, so during those off audit years, we are required to self certify that we are compliant. So all the tasks and all the annual items need to continue even uh, those off years. And then on the, on the year that they come out to audit, uh, they may request for all of those evidence to prove that you were in compliance that entire period. I gotcha. That makes sense. All right. So let's back up a little bit um, and talk about when cybersecurity be, kind of came into focus for TID. I know you mentioned when you were telling us about your background that you held the first uh, control systems cybersecurity analyst position. Was that kind of when... TIDs really started to make cybersecurity a, a part of the regular agenda? Absolutely. So uh, the intent of that control system cybersecurity analyst was to really shore up uh, for compliance and also refine our process for cybersecurity, especially in what we call the control systems environment. So that is the environment where power plants and substations, all the connected systems that that operate the electric grid, the modern grid today, uh, utilizes technologies uh, that are connecting all of these sensors out in the field. Sure. So it's it's really to to manage that and keep that safe from an attack. Okay. And did this attention uh, around cybersecurity coming online for TID, was that kind of concurrent with when some of these mandates came out? Or was there something that TID was doing prior to the mandates we discussed? to kind of uh, initiate some of these cybersecurity protocols? Yeah, this cemented it um, on, in the area where um, where NERC compliance is concerned. However, I mean, cybersecurity has always been there in, in one way or another. You know, in those early days, um, in the early 2000s, um, we have on the business side, the firewalls and virus scanners on everybody's desktop um, and and segmenting some of these networks between business side and operation side. So that's always been there. Um, but the sophistication in the technology has, has tremendously grown over those years. The, the typical firewall now is, um, has evolved to where it's, it's a, uh, more holistic view where it's able to determine what's actually inside of these packets. Packets are the, when, when systems talk to each other or when you're on your phone and you're um, going to a website, the content of, of that information, the newer systems are able to actually look in there, do a, what we call a deep inspection and, 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 and understand to see if that's a malicious attempt or not. Okay. So I'm going to do some online shopping and the, the more sophisticated um, protections are actually going to that site ahead of me and making sure it's a legitimate site and that there aren't any any uh, traps that I might be falling into there. Is that is that right? So when, when we talk about uh, that that deep packet, it's it's at the perimeter of our our, our network. Okay, of that, our network of our network. Okay, yeah. So um, when then when traffic goes in and out of our system, that's where that deep packet inspection is is, is what it's doing is looking inside and making sure that this is truly a valid um, communication. 
So it sounds like then prior to kind of when these enforceable standards came online, that TID was sort of operating on um, what the best known cybersecurity practices were at the time. Is that is that accurate? Yes. Okay, great. So when you started then, what did cybersecurity at TID look like? So when we when I first started at the district, um, like I mentioned, the, the firewalls were less sophisticated than they are today. Um, so we had to evolve over the years to kind of next generation firewalls, which we have employed here. So uh, we've we've had to evolve over the years to where we had to make adjustments even within our, our IT area um, to be more coordinated in the fact that we have these coordination meetings and cybersecurity meetings uh, monthly to make sure that that we're up to date and we know uh, of the trends that are out there and and discuss how we can help secure our system. Okay. So let's dive into the the district cybersecurity team that you mentioned a little bit more. So who makes up the team? What does the structure of that team kind of look like? And and what is their kind of key mission? Yeah, so that the team is made out of a kind of cross-section of uh, representation from the, the, the different IT divisions. Uh, we have staff with the operations team. So those are uh, staff members that help the infrastructure, the network, your email systems, your, um, your business systems. Um, so some rep- representation from there. We also have representation from our applications division, which are our program developer, software developers. Um, and then we also have representation from what we call our energy management system, which is the, the control system for the power grid. So they manage the, the system that operators use to operate the electric grid, the district. Okay, great. And the team meets how often? Uh, we meet on a monthly basis um, to discuss what's currently going on in the, in the cybersecurity landscape and talk about the different alerts that we get uh, and if there's any action needed for, for these alerts. Some of these alerts come from um, the, the government's Cybersecurity Infrastructure Security Agency, which is part of Homeland Security. Um, there are daily information alerts and feeds that come through um, and we review it and to see if it's applicable to any of the systems that we have in at TID. Okay. So what are some of the ways that TID prepares for a potential attack? So the alerts that we are subscribed to are targeted for entities like us. Uh, in particular, there is the Electric Sector Information Sharing and Analysis Center. Uh, they focus heavily on entities um, and utilities. Um, they produce bulletins and alerts for anything related to software or hardware that would be in use at a electric utility like us. And kind of call out what some of those vulnerabilities might be? Correct. So that you can take action on it if you are using that particular software. And part part of the protection that we were always doing is is the, the layered defense um, where you know, we have kind of zones where you have the kind of the public zone, the the DMZ zone, the demilitarized zone. So there's different areas within um, the network um, that you want to have different type of protections on. 
And, and tell us, can you go a little bit more into those zones that you mentioned? Is is that a is that a physical zone? Is that a, a level of security zone? How do you define those? Yeah, it's the latter. It's it's really the level of security. How much um, security you want to have in those particular areas? Um, because our in, internal zone is is already inside our network, um, so that area requires different sets of permissions to be able for a lot to allow our business users to conduct our business, right? As opposed to being in, in the DMZ zone where shouldn't be no users in that in that area. So it's more restrictive in, the, in those certain sections. I see. Okay. Earlier in our discussion, you had mentioned the EMS system at TID, which I think when some folks hear that, they might think emergency management system, but that has a, a slightly different meaning at TID. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Um, so EMS for us means the energy management system. The energy management system. Okay. And really, this is the heart and soul for the district as far as providing, keeping the lights on for our customers. Because this system is is the eyes and ears for our grid operators to to maintain a reliable and uptime for our customers. This system really is the taking into account all the different sensors that we have out in the field and collecting that information and presenting it to our operators so they can make intelligent decisions on what needs to be done to keep the to keep the power on for our customers. Okay. What else can you tell us about EMS and and the duties related to that area? This is the EMS is is one of the items that for the NERC compliance, this is what we are protecting. These are all the standards are for the protection of an EMS system. Um, and that's for all utilities alike. It's paramount that we keep this systems protected. And there are many forms, but defense in depth is one of the areas that um, that's one of the best cybersecurity practices that can be deployed. And defense in depth, can, can you explain that a little bit? Sure. That is where um, you keep all of your important critical systems in layers. So there are different layers before you get into there, meaning that it would be really a sophisticated attack in order to gain access all the way down to that level. It's, it's our most kind of protected layer that we can do. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. What else? Um, and of course, the, 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 the monitoring and detection of any um, anomalous or malicious code that we can detect. Um, we want to be alerted on, on those items. If we sense any of those in our protected area and take action and respond to those accordingly. Okay. And so those are all responsibilities of our EMS team. Absolutely. Okay. Great. So we focused a lot on the power side. Um, but as we, as we mentioned earlier, um, there could also be threats to our water operations. So water operations also utilizes sensors and communication out to field equipment. And so they're, they're also susceptible to um, cyber attacks. Currently, there are no irrigation water standards relating to cybersecurity. However, these systems are connected systems because they have sensors out in the field and they have communications to a back-end system. So the district does take that into consideration and we do employ 
some of our security practices on these systems to prevent any any attack on them. And likewise, I would I would imagine a part of that is uh, some of our critical infrastructure, such as Don Pedro or our hydro plants. Um, that must also be part of that interconnected system that that would require those protections. Yes, absolutely. So um, Don Pedro and, and our canals, uh, they all have um, sensors and the ability for our operators to to manage um, those systems remotely. These connected systems, like I said, it's um, it's really important for us to make sure that they have the protections uh, needed. Absolutely. And just knowing that the district is moving towards more automation, um, that just implies then even more interconnected systems that, that we would have to keep an eye on. Is that right? Absolutely. And we, we don't know uh, when a standard may come down. So at least if we're uh, on top of it and we're in, in, in ahead of the game, uh, we'd be that much better and be prepared for it. Absolutely. You mentioned that awareness and education are, are two important factors of cybersecurity. How does TID educate our staff on cybersecurity? That's a great question. So we do provide for all employees at the district annual cybersecurity awareness training. Uh, it is mandatory and we're conducting it this month in October as, as part of the National Cybersecurity Awareness Month. So a lot of these annual training are to help our users keep the district system safe but also they can utilize these um, education for their personal systems as well. Such things as having a good password, protecting your online accounts that you may have, um, it, and even making sure that your mobile devices are in or updated to the latest version. What sort of advice or warnings do you give employees about remaining diligent in watching out for something that could potentially be a cyber attack? So attacks can happen at, at any level and all levels of, of the organization. Um, we all have an important role to play in cybersecurity because truly it only takes one click of a bad link that could potentially infect um, our systems internally. Outside of our internal capabilities, is there anything the district does to reduce the likelihood of cyber attacks? Of course, we, we want to grow our internal capabilities to the best that we can, but we at times do employ third party consulting um, to help us find gaps within our system so we can improve. There can help us with any type of testing. Um, and then they can even do what we call the penetration testing. It's basically scanning our systems for vulnerability, um, internal and external, and then it can provide us uh, a gap analysis and see what what areas we need to um, do better on on protecting our internal systems. Okay, so to kind of help us discover what some of those vulnerabilities may be before the bad guys do, so to speak. Right. It, it's not just one solution that we're looking at. We're always open to um, having outside come and help us identify areas of deficiencies. And then what about the general public? I'm sure a lot of our listeners are, are wondering, um, you know, what sorts of things they can do to better protect themselves. And you, you mentioned strong passwords, that that's, that's a, always a key. Um, what else should folks watch out for? Especially nowadays with the online banking 
Um, it's really convenient to do all your banking on your phone. So one of the areas that I think is, is huge is the, what we call the multi-factor authentication. Um, so that's not just knowing your username and password to get onto your, your banking, um, account. Um, but it's to have another, um, factor that says that maybe can message you a, a code or just another way to confirm you are who you say you are. Absolutely. And not by just username and password. Um, the other area is also make sure you keep your devices up to date with the latest version. Uh, oftentimes discoveries are made for vulnerabilities within these devices and that the manufacturer has an update for it to, to fill those, um, those vulnerabilities. And what should, what should our listeners do if they come across an email or a text message that, that seems suspect? Um, you know, in our, in our personal lives, we don't always have a, an IT department to route some of these things to. So what, what should they do with that? So uh, particularly for our, our TAD customers, um, one thing that our, that we, our customer service would not do is to call you and, and ask for your password. So just be wary of, um, anyone pretending to be a TID employee and pretending to help you. Um, like I said, we would never ask for a password. And if you're, if something seems off, you may want to call in to our call center and, and get it from directly from our customer service. Okay. So somebody calls you and it sounds a little fishy. Hang up that call, call back to TID directly and, and make sure you're talking to, to real representatives. Absolutely. We, we don't want anyone to be a victim of a, a scammer um, by phone. And I, would, I will just add on there that the same applies if somebody shows up on your door um, claiming to be from TID. If you're not expecting someone from TID uh, to make a visit, it's always best to give a call into the district and, and make sure that the person who's there is, is legitimate and is supposed to be there. Good advice. Okay, so let's let's uh, pull out your crystal ball now and and tell us a little bit about what the future outlook of cybersecurity at the district is. My my crystal ball says that it's always going to be evolving. It's probably a, a good a good guess. <laughs> yeah, so uh, cybersecurity is uh, is a moving target. You know, there's there's new um, threat vectors that come out, and so it's really on us to be as prepared as we are um, heading into. Um, the unknown, you know, the um, attackers are getting more sophisticated. The ways that they attack are going to get more sophisticated. So it's really on us to try to keep up and try to even try to get ahead of the game. And what are some specific parts um, or uh, specific aspects of technology that's changing that that you guys are investigating and and kind of keeping tabs on? So we we've seen a and not just. Turlock um, irrigation, but other entities um, moving towards a what we call a cloud solution. Uh, the typical ways of IT having everything housed internally in your data center on premise. Um, there are advantages to moving some of those services into um, cloud infrastructure, um, where maintenance um, advantages could be gained. Uh, efficiencies could be gained in some of those areas. However, it does introduce other areas that we need to make sure that when we go to these services, that proper security are employed by these vendors and we keep them accountable for that. 
So again, as you had kind of mentioned earlier, moving our, our systems to the cloud introduces another opportunity for that, that back and forth and uh, information coming in and out of the perimeter of our system. So then not only are you guys tasked with monitoring our systems, but also what's then coming and going and how it's coming and going from, from the cloud. Is that accurate? Absolutely. Absolutely. So the, uh, the network security and, and, and data security is paramount, especially when it's um, being provided, these services are being provided by, by third party. Um, we just need to ensure that they are following best practices for securing the data that of the district. Very good. Excellent. And if they, if we find them to not be utilizing best practices, do we get to find them a million dollars a day? That sounds good. <laughs> Maybe we should look into that. All right. Dave, before we wrap up, is there anything that we haven't yet mentioned or touched on with regard to the district and, and cybersecurity? Yes, Constance. I, I didn't want to say that um, I'm honored to be in this role for the district. I have a passion for technology and cybersecurity. Um, and really, I am also a customer of the district. I'm a rate payer, just like uh, all of our customers are. So protecting the data that we have here, protecting our customer information, keeping the system going, the electric grid up and running, making it reliable, making it affordable, that is also benefits myself and, fi- and my family. So. It's truly uh, been uh, an honor to to be doing this. Awesome. Great. Well, it's been our honor to have you on the podcast today. So thanks for joining us. Thank you very much. Thank you for tuning in to the TID Water and Power Podcast. You can find TID on Facebook at facebook.com slash TurlockID, on Instagram and Twitter at TurlockID, and on LinkedIn as the Turlock Irrigation District. I'm your host, Constance Anderson. We'll see you again next time.